It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The holdout chapter of the Chris Jones story is in the books. He agreed to terms with the Chiefs earlier this week and is expected to be in uniform on Sunday when the team plays at Jacksonville. So who got the better of this deal? That's how we get into Sports Beat KC, the Stars Sports Podcast, with beat writer Jesse Newell and columnists Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Many were expecting a multi-year deal, but Jones is only under contract for this season. The Chiefs could franchise tag him next year or tag and trade him. We discuss all kinds of possibilities. We also talk about the issues the Chiefs must fix after the opening game loss to the Lions. Some of that could take care of itself with the return of tight end Travis Kelsey from a knee injury. Okay, let's get started talking Chiefs on Sportsbeat KC. Welcome to our weekly Chris Jones show. This week starring Jesse Newell, Sam McDowell, Bahe Gregorian, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. So... Once again, we talk about Chris Jones, but this time we actually have uh, some news and even some news this morning because terms of the Chris Jones signing got out. And Jesse, why don't you break it down for us and then we'll discuss whether uh, we'll, we'll try to determine who won the Chris Jones holdout. Yeah, so uh, probably not surprised that Mike Florio had the details on this when they eventually came out, but um, these are the incentives that Chris Jones can get back now. He gets a million dollars if he plays 35% of the snaps, a million more if he gets 50% of the snaps. He already had a $1.25 million bonus uh, or incentive if he got to uh, 10 sacks, but now he gets $500,000 more if he gets to 15. And then there's two other ones, $1 million if he makes first-team All-Pro and the Chiefs make the Super Bowl, and then $2 million if he wins Defensive Player of the Year and the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. So those are the added ones up. If everything comes together, he lost the game check to start with, so his base salary now is just a shade over eighteen million. If all the incentives comes through, uh, come through, he gets to about twenty five point two million dollars with his base salary. So that's the difference in the contracts, and that's the new details we have uh, to look at this thing. But uh, as you mentioned, Blair, the big news for the Chiefs and for Chris Jones is that he's going to be back, and we probably should expect him to play this weekend against Jacksonville. So Max is out at, at twenty five plus. That makes him nowhere near the highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL. Puts him a little over Quentin Williams, right, from the Jets. And the speculation all along was uh, you know, he, he wanted to be closer to – I think the speculation was he wanted to be closer to Aaron Donald. He's not getting there, and uh, and it's only a one-year deal. Did he – I don't know. It, it, it strikes me that um, a lot of time lost, including all the offseason activities, the preseason, the first game – and uh, it's great. Listen, it's great for the Chiefs to have Chris Jones back, but uh, I don't, I don't want to say it was a complete waste of time for everybody. But what was gained here, Sam? What's what's the uh, what's what's the bottom line for for the Chiefs and Chris Jones? Well, I mean, Chris Jones played his only move. Um, I just think he played it against the wrong team. I mean, the, the Chiefs are just not the team that's able to squeeze the number into the cap. I. 
I, I frankly think that the deal he's seeking, which was an additional two years for about $64 million, um, I think some team would, would pay it. I just don't think that team's the Chiefs. But the problem is now the rest of the league's going to have an extra year worth of data on which to analyze them. And he's going to be a year older when they're analyzing them. And so he's got to prove it again this year. And so the Chiefs get a really motivated player back. Um, frankly, they get them at a slightly cheaper price, even though it's going to be inflated to seem like it's more expensive because he did miss the first game of the season, as Jesse said. Um, he doesn't get that money back. I know that Chris tweeted out that, hey, I get it all back. That's not the case. He's got to earn it. Um, I don't know why there's this assumption that he's going to get the 50% of the snap uh, money. Chris Jones has dealt with injuries in the past. He does not play 100% of the snaps when he is healthy. Um, I think he's about 75. He's already missed 117th of the season. Um, so, I mean, look, the Chiefs never could have set a precedent here of caving. Um, first of all, they can't afford it. Um, but, you know, their own track record with Tyree Kill and Orlando Brown suggested that this was how it was going to go from their end. What was always in, we were always in the dark on was how Chris Jones was going to handle it. And I think, like I said, he played the only card in his deck. He played it to the fullest extent, you know, kept calling, kept calling, kept calling until it's week one. He's actually missing the game. And I think when the Chiefs don't blink, what are you doing at that point? Because like I said, you've got to have a good season to get the money you want. Orlando Brown didn't get the contract he wanted. So guess what? He tried to go out and prove that he he, he should get it. The Bengals gave him the contract. And so that's what the situation that Chris Jones is in, which is – Vahe, good good segue to turn it over to you because I agree with what with what you wrote this morning as far as what this means for the future now for Chris Jones. Yeah, and I do think, you know, Blair, to the way you asked the question, one of the thoughts that came to me on this is just the fact that this wasn't done sooner or for longer, to me, speaks to the whole idea that this was just, you know, a, a, in the end, a sal salvaging the situation. Um and if you really look at, as Jesse detailed, the, the incentives, some of those are fairly lofty incentives. I mean, the idea that this is going to be anything uh, presumed to be that is, is, you know, a long shot, really, right? I mean, I, I think we all still think the Chiefs are a Super Bowl contender and Chris could be, you know, one of the best players in the AFC defensively. But is he going to get those those types of incentives? Are, there, are those some kind of layup? So. And I think, Sam, to the, to the way you phrased the segue, I do think this, each team, each side of this was was or should have been as motivated as ever to get this done now if there was going to be a long-haul deal. I mean, they dug in. The Chiefs have urgency to repeat. They know they probably can't repeat without Chris Jones. Chris Jones knows this is the contract of a lifetime or at least the, uh, the makings of it. And on and on they went, and, and they couldn't get it done now. I... I basically believe, if not now, when. Now, we don't know that there's any bitterness. I don't want to say that there is or isn't. But I do think even if it was, uh, you know, cordial all along, that the, the evidence shows that they couldn't find a, a meeting place. So things change. Maybe maybe that'll, that'll evolve as the season goes on. There's plenty of unforeseen things that, you know, we have no way of knowing. Uh, maybe... Some things will settle in differently as as the season goes along, but I think it's a real long shot that Chris Jones is achieved next year. 
Sam, feel free to correct me. I just want to make this as simple as possible for people just to kind of read this the correct way. So Chris missed about $3.6 million. He had a $500,000 workout bonus. He missed about $2 million from missing training camp. He misses a game check for about $1.1 million. If we're looking at these incentives, so a million for 35% playing time, another million for 50% playing time, you said he could get hurt. He would have gotten that money anyway if he'd just shown up on time and done everything right um, from the start. But again, if we assume he's healthy, he's going to get that $2 million back. So now you're down $1.6 million. The other incentive for the 10 sacks was already on the books. So he already had that. He gets another $500,000 if he gets 15 sacks, which last year was a career year. He had 15 and a half. Um, you know, getting that seems unlikely. And then, as you said, Vahe, a million dollars if he gets first team all pro and they make the Super Bowl, which would have happened last year. But again, it's hard to get to the Super Bowl. And then two million dollars if he's the defensive player of the year, which is very lofty, and the Chiefs win the Super Bowl as well. So you're kind of the math here is sort of like, okay, if we assume he's healthy, he's down 1.6 million. Even if he gets to 15 sacks, he's down about a million. And all of this for what? Uh, you know, trying to to leverage something out of the Chiefs and maybe missing training camp. I mean, is missing training camp worth a million dollars to you? Again, Chris Jones can answer that question better than us. Uh, but that's sort of the math and how it shakes out here. The save face part, I think I agree with Vi, which is there was a certain point where you wrote this a couple of weeks ago. It was against Chris Jones' own self-interest to not be here because he was costing himself money. This seems kind of like a, a save face sort of measure. So he says, well, look, I, I have the chance of these incentives to get this money back. When in all reality, he's probably not going to make the money back. And he missed some training camp. He missed being around the team. He's probably going to be down about one and a half million dollars. That's kind of the bottom line out of all of this. And so um, you finally get the Chiefs and him moving forward and then potentially trying to win a Super Bowl, Super Bowl together. But um, I, I don't think this accomplished what he wanted it to. And I think the numbers would bear that out just based off of what I just repeated there. Yeah, and there's a there's a really important part of the couple of the incentives you mentioned being difficult to reach. That affects how they apply to the cap. Because if the incentives are considered attainable by the league, it goes on this year's cap immediately. If they are considered more likely than not not to be attained, then they only apply to next year's cap if you actually do end up attaining them. They don't apply to this year's cap. And the Chiefs still have to make moves today to to squeeze this Chris Jones number under the cap because he still is getting the base number. Um, so that that's a really important part. And then, you know, this all came down to leverage all along. And I thought that Chris Jones had a lot of leverage if the Chiefs wanted him here long term. But if their goal was just to have him here this season and not worry about the long term, then they had all the leverage because he was already under contract for nineteen and a half million dollars. This does create the path for Chris Jones to be playing elsewhere next season because I, I, look, I, I've been told that the Chiefs can still apply the, the franchise tag. They, I, I thought that might be at least one thing Chris Jones would secure in a reworked deal was not being a, allowed to have a franchise tag on him next year to just guarantee his free agency. That's not the case. And what's interesting here is he's actually affected his franchise tag number as well because your franchise tag number is based at least in part on your last salary and he just missed one seventeenth of his salary by sacrificing one point one million dollars, which means his franchise tag next year, which we thought would be about thirty two million dollars, which is what he's seeking over two years, um, now lowers below that thirty two million dollar to probably about thirty point five. Um, so I just think that's a really interesting twist in all this. But um, as I said, you know, Vi, you mentioned earlier as, as far as, you know, 
if not now, when I always thought that from the Chiefs perspective, the guy was threatening not to show up until week eight. And if I'm the Chiefs, I say, so what? My goal, if I'm the Chiefs, is to be winning um, after, you know, Christmas and New Year's and, and winning games in December and January. Certainly the games matter now. It sets you up to win then. But to me, their hand, again, if their point was only this year and not beyond, I never thought they were in a bad spot to to force a bad deal now to have them play weeks two through seven. This whole thing strikes me as um, parents who are talking about a divorce saying they'll stay together for the sake of the kids, you know, for, for the good of the household. And um, look, the Chiefs benefit from, you know, from having Chris Jones and they're a better team for it. Although I, you know, even though he was sitting in the stands watching last Thursday, I don't think he was missed as much as we thought he was going to be missed in that game. In fact, I think one of the, um, one of the positives that came out of the game for the Chiefs was the play of Felix and Yudike Uzama, who got some, got some pressure on, um, you know, on Jared Goff and, and did a nice job there. So uh, we thought the defensive line would be incredibly weak and it wasn't, at least in that game, it wasn't. So, so how much does Chris Jones play Sunday? I think we're going to assume he's going to play Sunday. Uh, They're going to have to ease him in Jesse. What do you think? How, how much can we expect Chris Jones to play this weekend? Well, when he talked to us last week at his charity event, he said if he signed one day, he'd be ready to play the next. So I fully expect him to go. We always hear about Andy Reid saying there's a difference between football shape and, you know, normal shape. And so I would think the Chiefs would try to ease him in as much as they could, but I fully expect him to play. It seems like with the incentives out there now, he's going to be motivated to play to try to get to his 15 sack mark. Uh, but we've seen this in the past not work out well for guys who try to rush themselves back and then get hurt. And if that happens, then again, nobody benefits from this whole deal because uh, if he rushes back to to do something, jump right in, and then gets hurt right away, then um, the Chiefs' chances of winning go down, and then obviously Chris Jones' chances of recouping that money go down as well. So um, we'll see. I, I, I would just, based off what he said and based off of um, him saying that he stayed in shape, worked out twice a day, been in Miami, ready to go, I, I don't think you're going to keep him off the field. And I know the Chiefs played well defensively without him last week, but that was not because of their defensive line playing that well. That was because... Steve Spagnolo was getting, you know, pressure from other places and kind of scheming this thing up. So they need him back. But um, if Cooler Reds prevail, they should limit him a little bit. But I just don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, I think he's going to be out there. And we've seen the Vegas line change, I think, a half a point in the game for Jacksonville. So uh, him having him coming back makes a little bit of a difference and potentially gives the Chiefs just a little bit better shot of winning this game coming up in week two. I think it's the easiest position on the field to make this transition. Um, so, you know, and I actually talked to a former NFL trainer about this. And, um, you know, first of all, the, the defensive linemen, I think, sprint the least, especially an interior defensive lineman. Obviously, I think to Jesse's point about the injury, which is a valid point, you worry about those soft tissue injuries. You see a lot of those pop up in training camp for a reason. Um, I think defensive linemen is probably the it's not it's not a zero concern, but it, it's probably less of a concern than other spots on the field. Um, I also think you're a lot, you know, because of the substitution, um, you're allowed, you know, maybe to take some plays off there. Um, but, you know, I asked Steve Spagnuolo this like a week and a half before the season. Um, I said, if Chris Jones shows up tomorrow, would he be able to play in week one? And he basically said part time. 
you know, they wouldn't be able to play him his usual snaps. Chris Jones played a lot of snaps last year, like the most of his career. So um, he's not going to be doing that on Sunday, even if he does play. And I do think you're right, Blair, that the presumption is that we all have that, that he'll be available. I think the real question is, will he play 35% or 50% snaps? I'm with you guys. I, I do think it, it, I think he'll play, but I think, I do think it'll be fairly limited. And I, I don't know. I mean, you know, he, he's done his conditioning and whatever great shape he says he's in was, was in Florida. But, um, you know, as, as Blair has said before, Jacksonville is where the cell phones melt. You know, we'll see, we'll see what, what that's like in those conditions in football gear. I don't think he was practicing in full pads, uh, to get in shape for the season. So I, I expect we'll see him, but I don't, I don't think we'll see anything remotely like a full game out of him. All right, Vahe, I think this is where we say so long, farewell. Peterson, <laughs> goodbye. I won't get kicked into song, but I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for having me. See you, Vahe. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Okay, so the other uh, missing element of the Chiefs uh, um, last week's game was Travis Kelsey. Hyper extended the knee a couple of days before the game and, and sat out. Uh, I thought he was that was a bigger miss for the Chiefs than than Chris Jones. So um, yes, I, I thought the Chiefs schemed it up pretty well, as Jesse said, uh, in, in absence of, of Chris Jones just the opposite on the offensive side to be held to 20 points, a couple of touchdowns at home against a, you know, defense that was terrible last year, improved for sure, but, but terrible last year was um, it was a an alarming performance and you know, there were many reasons for it, but I, I think um, a common thread through some of the, through most of the problems was the absence of Travis Kelsey. So, uh, on Monday, Andy Reid said Trav is getting better. He's progressing, and you know, we'll see how it goes. I think Travis Kelsey will play on uh, on, on Sunday. It seems like they avoided, un- unlike the the New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers, um, the Chiefs avoided a, a, a major injury uh, to Travis Kelsey. And so, am I right about this, you guys? Do you, you think the Chiefs miss Kelsey more than Chris Jones on? On uh, last Thursday, yeah, I mean, I'd say so, and the Vegas line kind of reflects that as well. We talked about last week about Chris Jones maybe maybe being worth a half a point when Travis Kelsey went out. The line moved two to two and a half points, and I think you saw why with the Chiefs' offense when they were trying to beat some Detroit Lions zone defense, they just 
had guys drifting a little bit too far, uh, not settling down in zones in the correct places. You saw like the Darius Tony pass where it was knocked away. Uh, a great play by the Lions linebacker, but if, if Tony kind of settles into space, he's wide open. And that's sort of what they had last year with Juju and obviously what they have all the time with Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. I think what Vahe calls a mind meld, which is what makes them so successful. And then looking back at the film, I think late that Patrick Mahomes lost faith. You know, um, he wasn't thinking receivers are going to get open. He wasn't waiting for plays to develop and he panicked a little bit and um, he still had a really good game. It just, this is sort of the thing that probably is good to be exposed week one for the chiefs is that they need the receivers to be better. They had some spacing issues. They had some confidence issues. And then uh, again, that led, I think, and trickled down to their quarterback, not playing very well late down the stretch when he's had faith in other guys in earlier games. So probably good for this to be exposed week one, even with getting Travis Kelsey back, but that's a position that obviously has to be better moving forward where the chiefs are going to have not only problems later this season, but obviously problems down the line when uh, Travis Kelsey isn't available on a full-time basis, which is going to come because he's getting up there in age and eventually he can't play like this uh, like he's been playing forever yeah and Blair I mean I think the other side effect of look Andy Reid is the best coach in the NFL when he's got all the time in the world to prepare he's really good after buys he's really good in season openers typically he was robbed of that because Kelsey gets hurt in the last practice of the week towards the tail end of practice and so he chose not to switch up his game plan he chose just to have Noah Gray take Travis Kelsey's role and Blake Bell to take Noah Gray's role, plus his usual quarterback sneak role. And uh, those guys aren't Travis Kelsey. And so I, you saw the effects of that, but the other effects are the wide receivers. Um, you know, I, I went back and looked and the Chiefs had eight, a combination of wide receivers and tight ends. They had eight of them run at least 11 routes in that game. Last year, they didn't have only one time did they have seven guys run at least 11 routes. And by the way, it was the game against the Titans where Patrick Mahomes threw 68 passes. So there were a lot of routes to be had in that game. Maybe just a coincidence, but that Titans game, they dropped seven passes. And so I think that at I, I this this rotation that the Chiefs are having contributed to some of the mistakes that we saw, not just the drops, because there's other plays. And look, they, they've been out there on social media where receivers are running into each other. Clearly on the crossing round with Kadarius Tony, somebody's in the wrong spot, two guys are in the right spot. Blair, I think it was you that pointed out as we're watching it. Um, but your quarterback, the Chiefs asked their quarterback to do a lot post-snap. There's a lot of RPO stuff. Um, there's a reason that Patrick Mahomes held training camp basically in, in Texas the past couple of years. It's to try and develop a rhythm with his wide receivers. And I think when you sub so frequently, you're robbing your offense of that rhythm. I mean, you think about it in any other sport, hockey, NBA, and it includes football. How could you expect a team to reach its peak rhythm when you're constantly changing the personnel? And so I think at some point the Chiefs are going to have to settle on what is going to be the wide receiver rotation? Because because I, I thought they were foolish to keep seven guys because they wouldn't use them all. I think it's actually worse that they did use them all. They're also between a rock and a hard place right now because you have a guy like Justin Watson who's in the right spot where so many of these concepts are you just have to be in the right spot to open up space. But, you know, he's not a guy that has much wiggle. He's not a guy that clears himself and opens up the space that Patrick Williams is used to. Sky Moore is a guy that can do that, had good separation stats last year but again he was a guy that 
struggled in there and, uh, you know, was not as targeted as much and had a rough game. And Kadarius Tony can create some separation. But again, he was dropping everything and throwing the ball to the other team. So uh, this is sort of a complicated puzzle right now. And you mentioned the uh, the substitution goes with that, Sam. It does make for something where wh- which which side are you going to pick here? Are you going to keep your trust in the guys that, that kind of can create that separation? Or are you going to go with old reliable and try to scheme things up and and make sure guys are in the right spots? Because it seems like those two things are conflicting with, with each other, along with what you mentioned. Um, I, this is nothing against Blake Bell. Um, he was sort of on the roster bubble, I think most of us thought going into the season, but he played 40% of the Chiefs snaps. I'm going to venture to say he never plays 40% of the Chiefs snaps ever again in a game. And that came because of Travis Kelsey's injury and then continuing to want to play multiple tight ends. But I just don't think that's the thing that's going to happen. It's something the Chiefs had to deal with in that first game. Because, as you mentioned, Sam, they did not switch their game plan, uh, hoping either Travis will come back or just keeping that thing that they had prepared for for months. And that was kind of a curveball they couldn't have predicted. Yeah, and you hit on something there, Jesse, that I think is a really important point, which is that the Chiefs' best wide receivers talent-wise are the guys that don't have that connection yet with Patrick Mahomes. I thought Rashi Rice had the best game of any wide receiver, and it's a, it's a really low bar. You know, he still dropped the first pass of the game. Tony, I think, is they is the guy they think is the most talented guy on the roster. Sky Moore was a second-round pick last year for a reason. They saw some talent there. I think they do like some things with Justin Ross. He's a purely, like, particular package player right now Brett Veach even used that lingo to describe him before the season so it's like to cycle all these guys in the game it's going to continue to create this the the effects of the substitution pattern but it's getting your most talented guys in the game because MVS knows the offense Justin Watson knows the offense those guys aren't your most talented players and so I totally agree with you Jesse that they're stuck in this bad spot of feeling like they have to play at least maybe six guys in the rotation, all the while it is creating some adverse effects in the process. No, it's only a one game sample size, right? But, um, uh, you know, I, I was, the idea that one or some of these wide receivers were going to have to be something they've never been as pros stuck with me during the, during the preseason. And I thought, I guess I continue to believe that one or two will step up and be, you know, ha- have that career year, maybe, you know, a, a Pro Bowl type season. Heck, if Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, you almost can't help but uh, but put up good numbers. But we didn't see it in game one. And and I know, Jesse, you're, you're a big Sky Moore guy. If it wasn't for Kadarius Tony, I think Sky Moore would have been the, the wide receiver that we all talked about after the game and for his lack of production and you know, just wondering what 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 went wrong with him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still high on Sky, and again, I think he has the tools to be that Juju Smith Schuster receiver for them to separate coming kind of inter- intermediate. But I think what the troubling sign here is there was one play late where he was wide open. He came wide open over the middle of the field, and Mahomes looked at him and just didn't throw it. And then he scrambled a little bit and threw it and threw it a little bit high, and Sky couldn't come down with the catch. And that's the same confidence issues we saw last year. I mean, this is why Sky wasn't productive last year is because when he was on the field, uh, Patrick Mahomes didn't trust him. And that's what he worked all offseason to build. And it feels like through one game, you know, a lot of that can be torn down. Um, So, again, I'm I'm still high on his talent. And I think what hurt him is they they had the one connection where he caught it. He ran upfield. It was a good game. And it was a holding call. So it got brought back. So even like the one moment where the two did have that connection, it got it got negated. but. 
Um, this is a, kind of a ticking time bomb right now for the Chiefs because if you're not going to use Sky, you got to use Rashi Rice, and you've got to put him in that role. And Rashi Rice, by all indications, showed more in the first game than Sky did. So, same thing with Kadarius Tony. I mean, Andy Reid can take the blame for Kadarius Tony not playing well in the first game because he missed training camp and maybe threw him out there too much. But if he does this another game, how much longer can you stick with him and just not make him a package guy, that sort of thing? So it is kind of complicated. I feel like those guys are talented. I feel like you said, Blair, it's a one-game sample, and I still think Sky Moore has way more to show than he showed the first game. But at a certain point, if the quarterback doesn't trust you, that's a real big problem to have, and they have other options on this roster. So uh, this is probably something that needs to be fixed pretty quick for Sky Moore, or he faces the risk of having these other guys pass him up. Weren't you guys so I, I all off season I, I wasn't concerned about the wide receivers I because because I thought they had depth and the statistics show that that you know being strong at number three and four is actually more important than being strong at number one. Now your your three and four are, are based on who's at at your one and two obviously, but to me the first sign of being concerned about the wide receivers was the fact that they even played Kadarius Tony. You kept seven wide receivers on your roster, six of them survived preseason, survived training camp, completely came out of it completely healthy, ready to roll on opening night. And you still felt like Kadarius Tony, who had missed all of that stuff I just mentioned, had only practiced a little bit, and it was just the week leading up to the game. You still felt like you had to get him in the lineup. And Andy Reid said yesterday that it wasn't just that he, that he put him in a bad position. He said he put him in primary position late in the game. He was basically a go-to option in that game. And to me, that's a sign that they're not confident in the other six guys they have if they felt like they had to squeeze that guy into the lineup on opening night. I was equally concerned with the running game. And, you know, in a, in a typical Chiefs, it may be a typical NFL, you know, uh, for, for many teams, uh, offensively, they'll, they'll average, you know, or at least the Chiefs, 300 yards passing and 100 yards rushing, right? So 75% of your offenses comes through the air. Chiefs had... I forgot what the rushing, the, the total team total was, but Mahomes, you know, let him in rushing, which is never, I don't think it's ever a good thing. And Isaiah Pacheco and Clyde Edwards Alaire combined for 45 yards on 14 carries. I think, I think that also can be attributed to the uh, Travis Kelsey not being there and having to make some, uh, some shift changes with, uh, with Noah Gray and, and Blake Bell. But, you know, the, one of the signature plays of the game, too, was Blake Bell under center. Sam, you mentioned it earlier in the day, earlier in the show, Blake Bell under center, the uh, the jet sweep to Rashi Rice and, and that losing three yards. Andy Reid said after the game, and he also repeated it the other day, that play blew up from the inside, not not because of a defensive end crashing down. But uh, but anyway, the right. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Blair. That play blew up on the play sheet, but, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, yes, it did. Yes, it did. But let's talk about the running game quickly and what what should be the level of concern there. Yeah, I broke down that play, me and Brad Tavo on the details. So people want to check out the video breakdown of it as well. Um, you know, the Lions had a little bit of a stunt going and the Chiefs did not get it blocked up. I will say Trey Smith was distraught in the locker room. So I'm, I'm sure that was what play he was thinking back on. Creed Humphrey was very upset after the play too. So hard to know exactly the assignments when I'm talking to those guys. I think Andy Reid said that uh, a player overset on that one. But again, when you get that penetration from the inside, there's there's not much uh, that's going to happen with the play. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'll be blunt here and quick. Um, I think the Chiefs got what they want, what they wanted with their tackles. I mean, they got amazing pass blocking, especially against Aiden Hutchinson, who still created pressure, but is one of the elite players in the NFL. 
but they might set a record for pass attempts this year, guys. I mean, their tackles cannot run block right now. And that's just the reality. I mean, I, I don't, I can just put it more blunt right now. I mean, Juwan Taylor last year, pro football focus, all those grades, and everything, he couldn't run block. And right now he can't run block. And so he can definitely pass set. And the Chiefs, you'd rather have that. You'd rather be able to pass the ball. If you're down 14, you want to pass it. If you're up 14, being able to pass it's great. But um, I think this is what they signed up for. And as long as Patrick Mahomes stays healthy and upright, it's probably the better option to have, but they've got a lot of work to do. And I think it starts with the tackles they have. Again, if, if they hold up in the run game or get a little bit better and have the pass protection they had that first game, I think they'll be plenty happy with it. But this is sort of the route they chose, as Sam would say, the choose your own adventure. And they chose passing over running. And that's going to be one of the things I think we look at all season long. Okay. The game is at Jacksonville on Sunday, it kicks off at noon central time. Uh, I have not checked the weather but I'm just hoping there's no hurricane coming through. Has anybody looked uh, at the long range? And, uh, uh, you know, I saw 82 and rainy Blair. Uh, I don't understand all these things you were talking about with Jacksonville being a scorcher. <laughs> 82 and rainy. Okay. Uh, all right. So Doug Peterson uh, lost twice to uh, Andy Reid in the chiefs last season and is 0 and three against uh, the chiefs uh, after leaving Kansas city uh, Chiefs have won seven in a row in the series. It was Andy Reid's first victory as a Chiefs coach was at Jacksonville in 2013. They were a, play, they were a playoff team last year. They won their opener last weekend against the, the Indianapolis Colts, Colts on the road. And, and uh, Trevor Lawrence, of course, one of the rising stars in this league. So plenty of incentive on the side of the Jaguars. I think the Chiefs also, especially if they're coming out at full strength, have a lot of incentive to, to win this game. Uh, what's what's the early line on this, Jesse? Do you know? I think it went to Chiefs by three after the Chris Jones news. Something interesting to track as well, which is Jacksonville's schedule is way easier than the Chiefs. So you hate to circle week two and say it could be for the one seed, especially with the Chiefs losing the first game. Maybe they're not going to be in the in the hunt for it anyway, but – uh, with the way Jacksonville's schedule lines up compared to the Chiefs, this could be one that has major ramifications down the line if the Chiefs and Jags do you know, continue on the sort of uh, trajectory we expect them to go on. Yeah, I think the, the AFC South plays the NFC South in the crossover games this year, and, and both of those uh, divisions are probably the, the, the worst in, uh, in, in both conferences. So, okay, guys, we'll see you down there. Thanks for the conversation. That'll do it for today. Thanks to producer Randy Mason for putting together the show. And to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Todd Feedback, Jeff Rosen, and Scott Chasen. Tip of the cap to Jesse Newell, Sam McDowell, and Vahe Gregorian for sharing their insights. The best daily digital sports page on the planet is Morning Sports Edition. More than 40 pages this morning crammed full of Chiefs, Royals, KU, Mizzou, K-State, and soccer coverage, plus all the national and international sports news you can read. Oh, and the box scores. Check it out at liveedition.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC, where we talk sports in and around Kansas City.